We're back, man. <laughs> We're back here in Tribeca for part two with our great guest, Loretta Kennedy. Hi. Did you enjoy the break? I did. All right, we're going to cover some great stuff here. I've been doing a little research on you, Loretta. And when I talk about a little research, I'm talking about very little. I looked you up on <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> and I noticed that you were part of uh, you're part of a lot of different little groups. Like you're a big, you're fond of animals, right? You were would you consider yourself an animal activist? Um, not an activist, but yes, the Furry Friends Ranch. In yeah. South Florida, yeah, that's where I got my little rescue dog from. Okay, yeah, I saw yeah. that you promoted them. Place. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of what else uh, you had on the page there. She's a biker. I yeah. sold my Harley. Did okay. you really? Oh, you had a motorcycle. I you did. mean Harley? I thought you meant like yeah. a bicycle. No, she was a motorcycle yeah. enthusiast. I always tell people I'm a bike. I got a Schwinn, <laughs> <laughs> six speed. <laughs> Looking for the run, and so you had a Harley, huh? I did. That must have been awesome. What a, that's yeah. hot. Yeah, it was fun. Why'd you give it up? You know, I was up, I was home upstate so infrequently, basically just on the weekends for right. years, and you know, it got to. What the kind of Harley was it? Uh, Soft tail deluxe. Nice. Oh. So I'm not act like I know about motorcycles. <laughs> I don't. Is it bad, like if uh, to give a guy a ride on it, like me on the back of it, would it look funny? Uh, yeah, I, I had a solo seat. I didn't ride anybody on the back of it. Well, what other groups are you part of there? Because um, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm starting off with this is because I know that you're also part of, um, you were involved somehow with, uh, with drug dependency and those issues, right? You're part yes. of a group, right? What group is that? Um, it's a group called Cycle for Recovery. Cycle for Recovery. Yeah. And what is it that they do? So it's a, a group, um, it's a nonprofit um, that has uh, a number of people on the board of directors and an advisory board, and they're selected based on, you know, their skills and their experience and their relationships um, to, you know, continue uh, to contribute to the growth of the nonprofit. It started... What do they do? How do they help over, drug addicts? So what they do is um, they partnered with SoulCycle, and they have cycling events. They had two uh, in the fall, one in L.A., one in New York, both sold out. They're looking to do a couple of more uh, in the So they're raising money for people who are addicted to drugs? Uh, yeah, drug addiction and mental health issues. Uh, how, how did you get involved in that? What brought you to that? So, well, what really started my whole journey was uh, my son uh, was an addict, and uh, it was a very, very difficult time in my life, in my whole family's life. And, uh, you know, it was while I was working. I was working at JetBlue when I really found out. Obviously, anybody you talk to, you're kind of in denial for a long time. But, um, you know, one day after, you know... What was his drug of choice? Well, he started out... Um, with uh, actually prescription pills uh, for a legitimate basketball injury, and uh, it seems that to be like the way it starts out. It's it's sad, but it's true. So it started out with that, and it was Vicodin. That was was the prescription that he was mm -hmm. prescribed, and from there he went to oxycodone, and as the path goes, uh, eventually went to heroin. Um, so and how how far back were you talking about? How old was your son at the time? Um, probably around 23, 24 at the time. So it was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Because the opioid epidemic, it seems like, you know, you talk about the epidemic, it sounds like it's something that's the relatively new, but it took a couple of years to develop. I mean, they had to flood the market with these opioids first before they got everybody well, addicted. Well, I think part of it is that it just wasn't spoken about as much. I think it's been going on longer than all this messaging is coming out now because it's affected everybody, you know, across, you know, the gamut, you know, men, mm -hmm. women, it's younger, a, It's a national older. crisis. It's, it's a crisis. <laughs> and uh, so there's so many dynamics to it. And, you know, uh, it was it was uh, very difficult to deal with as a parent. It's very difficult. You said difficult. this is while you were working um, with JetBlue. Yeah. That you found out. Yes. And when you found out, did you find out, when it was already at a bad point, or did you feel like you missed out on a lot of stuff, or was did you notice right away something was off? No, it's gradual, and um, you know it starts off with you know you know tiredness, laziness, you know just not 
being the person that uh, was he, he living was. with you? Yeah, he was living at home. And was uh, he working? Yeah, he was working. He was a college uh, graduate. Um, so I I was working, like I said, I was traveling a lot, uh, wasn't home a real lot. Do you think that it had something to do with it? No. Were you still married with at no. the time? No. So no. when your kids were growing up, you were uh, you were married. Those those years between like 14, 15, 16 where kids might start experimenting. No, I was a single parent then. Okay. As well, yeah. But you're working a lot. You're working as a yeah. captain. Right. In the police department, and before that, a lieutenant. Mm -hmm. Your hours are, you know, one thing about the police department is the hours. You never know what, what it's always, right. it's always what you're needed. When, what, what do they say? When needs of the service. Needs, needs of, of the, the service. Yeah. yeah. And you're out in Long Island, commuting in. Um, you have a, you have a son and a daughter. Yeah. All right. And, um, but during those years, you feel like uh, he wasn't. But uh, doing drugs and doing those years. Right? Well, look, you know, as a teenager, uh, you know, uh, no doubt he was partying with his friends. But what wasn't happening was, you know, what resulted and that that was getting involved with the pills and mm -hmm. the oxycodone. And it started with this basketball injury mm -hmm. that progressed to the point of him going to heroin. What, what, what was it that he injured? His thumb. Uh, I, I remember being Cause it's at funny because she goes, his thumb. Yeah. His thumb. <laughs> yeah, because he said... He <laughs> You're said, not on drugs, are you? Because that's your pinky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, his pinky. <laughs> You're right. No, no his other thumb. Uh, no, seriously, thumb. It, 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 he had sent me a picture. I was at work, and it was completely dislocated. And I, oh, I yeah, actually told him a, to go to the hospital, uh -huh. um, you know, which he did. And, and that's, that's kind of how it all started. And uh, so for a long time... You know, like, I, you know, I felt things weren't right. I, I would talk to him. I would say, you know, are you on drugs? And, you know, he'd be very defensive and deny it. No, I'm not. You know, stop saying I'm on drugs. Um, and because drugs, when you when you talk about street drugs and then you're talking about the opioid, that's a mm -hmm. big problem, too, because, you know, one is being uh, prescribed by the doctor originally, and uh, the other ones you're buying in the street off a drug dealer. So when you ask yourself, are you, are you doing drugs? No, I'm not doing drugs. The, you know, I'm doing. The doctor gave me this. Yeah, yeah but you but know, these days you have even if you look in your own medicine cabinet, and you see what's there. You're like, wow. If I had kids, I'd have to get rid of these. I don't have nothing like that in my. No, medicine. well, if you go yeah. to a dentist, they prescribe that mine don't oxycodone last, or something. Yeah. Mine don't I last long it. enough oh, for you, my you, kids oh, to get old. Oh, you take them all? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> if you give me some Vicodin, man, <laughs> going out and buying a bottle, of Maker's Mark, and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but what eventually happened is, you know, they find um, doctors who will just keep writing them pres yeah, prescriptions yeah, no and good. prescriptions. That was a big problem for it, a long time. Yeah, it was a, a huge problem. Which also leads to the uh, heroin epidemic. My my son had a friend of his that died of a drug overdose like three years ago. He's like 22 years old. Yeah, you know? I know so many people who lost, you know, daughters or sons or, you know, spouses, um, you know, through this whole journey. I met so many people who lost their loved ones because of it. And they must blame themselves, right? Well, you know, you just kind of look and, you know, what could I have done wrong? And, you know, like, how does this person, you know, take a prescribed drug and, and they're fine and this person, you know, gets addicted to it? You know, I just don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I can only speak really to, you know, what it did to our family, uh, what it was like trying to get him help. What was, what was that like? Uh, well, the first time... obviously, you said he, he said he wasn't addicted, right? Right. Well, but he's I not doing drugs, that's what he said. I got a phone call, and it was uh, the end of June of 2005, I believe it was. And um, he called me up, and no, it wasn't 2005. Um, I forget what year it was, but it was the end of June, and he said... I need help, he said, if I don't get to a rehab, he says, I'm going to be dead in a day. And that's it's really scary. <laughs> it was very scary. So I immediately, you know, started looking up rehabs locally, uh, Nassau, you know, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, anywhere in the tri-state. Nobody had beds. Um, when you say no, but nobody had beds, you're, you're cold calling and saying, yes. listen, my son is addicted to opioids. He needs treatment right away. And right. they're like, we can't help you. Correct. Wow. wow. Um, nobody had beds. I was able to find a place out in the Hamptons, and they said they could take him the next day. Mm -hmm. So I said, fine. Um, 
He didn't have insurance. Uh, he was over the age of 26 at that point. He didn't have insurance. So um, I paid for it. Wow. I gave them my credit card. It's a lot number. of money, I bet, right? Yeah. And um, they came, and I actually went um, when they came to get him, and they picked him up in like a van, and they took him for a 30-day stint in rehab. So that was my first experience. What did, if you don't mind, what did that cost? Um, that was $11,800, which, you know, in the big spectrum, as I've spoken to many people, um, there yeah. are places you could, you could spend forty fifty thousand right, dollars. Right. That's the initial thirty days. For the initial thirty days, well, the first few days are detox and then the rehab. And I remember having a conversation with uh, a, a counselor, you know, saying, "Is it better if I send him to this place because it costs more and they have more?" And he said, "No." He said, "It doesn't matter how much money you spend; it's all up to them if they want to get clean or not. So whether you're spending fifty grand a month." or going no place, right. an outpatient, if that's what they want to do is get clean, then they'll get clean. He was motivated, though, it sounded like. Well, at that point, yeah, he was. And so he went out there, and I was able to visit him two weeks later. And I went there, and I, I just remember him walking the hall towards me, and I just cried. Like, I hadn't even just seen that smile on his face in, in over 10 years. He looked great. He felt great. I went through the parent, you know, introduction uh, program with them. And um, so then he came out two weeks later, and he felt great. And he said, you know, I'm never going back. I'm never doing this. And, you know, and I felt, oh, my God, I finally got my son back. So that lasted maybe two or three months. And then began the cycle, and I began to learn that um, relapse is part of recovery. And um, so over the next two years, he was in and out of seven different rehabs. Wow. And I, again, came to find out um, how difficult it is, you know, to get a bed as I met so many parents um, or you spouses. Call, you can't call ahead and say, listen, uh, my son's probably going to be needing this place because <laughs> you make a reservation no. for three months from now. No, it just <laughs> doesn't work that way. And, you know, there, and there were times where they would have beds, but they're being held for people who have been arrested and are in jail, safe for drugs. So those beds are held for mm -hmm. them. So there's like a, a whole, you know, process that goes on there. So he went in and out of a, a couple of different places, um, you know, because uh, the initial in hit, the initial you know, hit of $11,000, this is, you know, it's like in the whole world, if you get him back and everything's fine and hunky-dory after that and you got your son back, that's nothing. But you're talking about seven times, now it's adding up. Well, so what happened was, once he got into the first place, I had laid out the money. Um, so now he's on, um, eligible when he gets out for Medicaid. Uh, Medicare. Medicare, yeah. Medicare, I'm sorry. Um, so he's eligible for Medicare. So I'm looking up now to see, like, what he's entitled to being on Medicare now. And it's, like, a huge document. Um, and I wind up on a page of reimbursements. So I just started reading about reimbursements. Well, I, I come to find out, I come to find out um, that when you go into a rehab facility, if you have no insurance and you eventually go on Medicaid, what happens is, for the three months prior to you going there, they will reimburse you for anything that Medicaid would have paid for if you had insurance. Right. So there I start the journey of trying to get my money back. And um, that took about 16 to 18 months of going into Brooklyn, standing online, okay. not playing the role, you know, trying to get uh, reimbursement, being jerked around is an understatement. Being sent from that location to one in Queens to, to go to Nassau County, this and that. I try to exhaust you so you don't do well, it. Well, you know, that's the bottom line. I don't know how people who, who so desperately need this help navigate the system. So I wind up going to court. Do you think that your money was being held back maybe because you're a white lady and you, ha you had a job before? I, I, you want your money back? I don't know why it was particularly being held back, I almost tend to think that people just give up. It's yeah. just so difficult to navigate. So I wind up going to a hearing with a, uh, an attorney and an advocate, um, and 
I'm talking to them, and, and they're asking me, well, why should you get your money back? And I had everything photocopied and highlighted. On this page, it, it, it states this. And then the attorney would say, well, that's not true. And I was like, well, and I pull out another page. Well, on this page, it says I'm entitled to it. And she said, let, let me see that. And I, I'm thinking, like, you're the attorney. How do you not even know mm -hmm. this? So anyway. You I probably never got that far. I, I go through the whole process, and I get a, a letter back, and they basically denied me because the what they call the CPT codes, those are the medical codes. Every time you go to the doctor and you get the bill, it has like some four right, or five letters. what they'll cover. What, yeah. a code, what code it is, right? Because the CPT codes weren't right. But in that hearing, they said that that attorney was supposed to find out all those CPT codes. So I wrote them back and, and basically said, you know, based on the letter I got, it wasn't my responsibility to find out the CPT codes. So long story short, I got back 11000 of my original money. You exhausted them, you know? But you want to know something? And they exhausted you. It was exhausting. Yeah. But needless to say, so now he's eligible for Medicaid. So that's what picked it up, um, you know, for all these other visits. So, you know, fast forward, we go through a different number of places. And he's in another place in the Hamptons now for a month. And by the way, I, I want to say this. When somebody's a heroin addict... A 30-day rehab is like pulling, putting a, a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Right. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. How long do you think, it's a, it, now that you know about this, how long is an appropriate time for heroin addiction? I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on their motivation. Um, I think it depends on the, the family and friend support. Um, well, heroin and, is... And it, depends, it mostly depends on the addict themselves. Heroin is in the blood. So I'm talking about like actually a blood, complete blood transfusion where this this drug is out of your system completely. Right. Obviously it takes more than a month. Forget about your mental state and where you want to be. This is, heroin's different because it's calling you, it's pulling you, it's in your system. It's like you're a vampire. It's psychological. It's, yeah. like, you're, it's like you're a vampire. You need right. blood, they need heroin. Right. So, um, so to me, a year would probably be great. Because you have to, not only do you have to get them completely off of it, but now you have to get them back into a lifestyle where they feel um, like they're actually contributing to something, which is laying around, kick, kicking dirt, waiting for the to start doing drugs again. To was start he, was he still living with you at, at this point? What was that? Was he still living with you at this point? Uh, a lot of times he was actually living with my mother. My mother took him in a lot. Um, you know, as I went through this process, I... I joined a, an Al-Anon group, which is like for the friends and families. And that was a big deal for me to even take that step um, because I was thinking, I don't want to go anyplace close. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to run into anybody I know. So I found a place on Long Island, but was quite a distance from you know where I had grown up and where my son had grown up. And uh, I went in there, and I, I went there religiously for quite some time. And that kind of really put me in a place um, where, and I say this, let go, let God, uh, where I, I had to let it go because my, as my husband would say, if Danny's okay, Loretta's okay. If Danny's not okay, Loretta's not okay because it consumes your life. You know, and it's someone else's addiction. When correct, you, it, but it affects still, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so I went there, and I met some wonderful people there, and, you know, I just took a lot in. And they're so divided. Like, some people will not take their addicts into their house. Other people will not put them on the street. It's a personal decision on what you want was to your do. Son, was your son stealing? Was he at that point? Was he stealing things? He, I'll tell you this. There are certain things that I don't know. There are certain things I don't want to know. Mm -hmm. um, he never stole from us. Um, so he did have money though. He went through everything he ever had and he was working, you know, through, through the addiction. Yeah. Except at the very end when it got really bad. Um, so he would go in and out of these. What type of heroin is he doing? Is he shooting up or is he snorting or is he doing the oxycodone? The, uh, no, the, he, he wasn't doing pills anymore. Um, he would have a guy, somebody would pull up in front of uh, my mother's house and um, you know he would go outside and he'd be gone for a few minutes he'd come back I never found a needle in my house but I know that he was doing heroin he told me he was doing heroin um, so it, it's like I said there's certain things that I, you know it's hard to ask mm -hmm. I, yeah, I just don't even want to know I mean I, I know a real lot mm -hmm. um, 
but it was most important for me to really never give up hope and try and get him the help that he needed. And um, so what happened was he's in another place out in the Hamptons for a month, and it was in December. He was scheduled to get out like January 1st or whatever. And there was a three-month program at a place called St. Pete's, which is up in Saranac Lake. And I just happened to call up, and they had a bed. Like right at the same day he was getting released from the Hamptons. So anyway, we coordinated it. I drove from Long Island out to the Hamptons. Is he okay with that? Yeah. So he's getting out after a month. He's going, and he's okay with going right up. Because he knew he needed that extra help. Correct. So I picked him up. I drove him six hours up to Saranac Lake in in January. So you know it's 20 degrees below up there. And it was a beautiful... Old, it, it reminded me of the mansion in The Shining. Uh, really nice backdrop in the mountains. It was a fabulous looking place. I, I walked them in the place, and they said, you have to go now. Like, I immediately had to walk out. Oh, they out. didn't want you there. No. And then I drove. Why know, is that? Why, why do you feel? They, they, they just want to cut the ties. They Does that have anything them. to do with, like, codependency? You know, like maybe having the mother there, you rely on, you know. <clears throat> no, no. They just take them and they put them through that program. So he was there um, and he actually left early. He left after about two and a half months and he got out. And um, Is that okay that he left? It? That was his choice? It wasn't my choice, but it was his. And um, He's a man now. Yeah. So he left and he went and he lived in a homeless shelter. Uh, out in Freeport, Long wow. Island. That's got to be something. And that's, so that's rock, where... Is that rock bottom, you think? That's That was his defined... That's what he told me was his defining moment when he lived in a homeless shelter. Wow. And, and I remember him saying, Mom, I wasn't raised this way. And he turned his life around at that point. And the other thing that he said was one of the best things that ha- happened for him was when I went to the Al-Anon meetings because I really... Understood. I really let go and let God. And and he said that was a big factor, too. He said he saw the change in me because I was no longer enabling him. I Mm. was... um, That's important, right? Enabling. You know, as you say this, I can't... I probably can't think of anyone I know that doesn't have someone in their family Absolutely. that has this, mm-hmm. whether it's alcohol, mm-hmm. drugs, you know, prescription drugs, heroin. Everyone in their family has someone in their family that has they this. They do. Yeah. They do. And sometimes people have more than one pe- yeah. person in their yeah. family. So that's, that's really, you know, how I started getting involved with this. My son has been um, drug-free now over five years. Wow. That's great. Um, he's, uh, yeah, we say he's happy, healthy, and helping others. Is he back working? Yeah, so what he did was he actually went out to California, uh, where my daughter lives, and he had, uh, met at my daughter's wedding, the, the rabbi that married my daughter and my son-in-law was a former heroin addict and owned or, uh, had two, um, rehab places out there. So he went to work there. And he finally was a director of a program in um, Santa Monica, literally right on the beach, like Muscle Beach. He, he, p- he right picked there. a nice place to yeah. get sober. That's yeah. <laughs> well, he was working. He was sober at the time. He was living out in California, and he was dire- uh, the director of the rehab program there and helped a lot of people and met a lot of people. So while he was there, he would give my phone number to parents, like who sent their because it was not cheap. And you were okay with that? Yeah. Yeah, they would call and, uh, you know, talk to me. And, you know, I'd have moms who would say, you know, there's nobody in my my town who has this problem. And I'd be like, they probably do. You just probably you don't, don't know, know about, about it. it. Yeah, yeah. And I was a big advocate for Al-Anon. You know, I think it's so, Loretta, it's so interesting that you learned that you were an enabler, which we probably all are, you know, because yeah. this is your son. You love him and you can do whatever you can for him, but right. you're not helping him. Right. When you enable someone. Right. right. And not that I was giving him money and stuff, but, you know, even when they, you know, giving them places to live, like they have to get out and get on their yeah, own. Yeah, get out. Um, so, yeah. Or else they'll destroy you, too. And, and the family relationships. Yeah. My son and daughter didn't talk to each other. My daughter was upset at me because she felt that he was destroying my life. And, and, and it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. 
my mom would always take him in. She would never say Those no. Grandmas. But he was very good to my mother. My yeah. mother was very good. They still to this day have a great relationship. So, you know, so going through all the peaks and valleys of it, you know, to be in the place I am today, I, I would have thought he'd been dead and buried a long time ago. And I, I'm very grateful um, that, you know, things have worked out this way. But, you know, you take one day at a time, too. Absolutely. And just, you know, hope for the best all the time. Wow. That's some journey, huh? Yeah. Yeah, especially since, you know, um, you were a cop. You were a captain on the police department. So where, you know, the average, you know, parent who's working, they're, they, you know, they're not seeing this kind of stuff. They're not around it all the time. And then when it happens to you and you're a cop, you're like, how, how did I not see this? How can I not detect it? How, how did I not know this was going on underneath my roof? Well, the irony is, we talked about this before, is, you know, here I am, you know, like on the Lower East Side going in and out of these shooting galleries. Where, you know, I'm like 23, 24, 25 years old. I'm young. You know, you're seeing all these junkies, you know, laid out on some disgusting mattress, you know, you know with the needle sticking out of their arm mm -hmm. or whatever is going on. And, you know, you just, you know, it's just kind of like a job. You're not even thinking about that no. person right there has a mother, a father, a no, grandmother. No, really don't. Um, well, we have to put up those barriers. I used to say, too, you know, you could go into an apartment, see two people's brains all over the floor, yeah. and you just go about your business like it's... Well, that's a yeah. little bit you different, know. though. I mean, if you do know... Yeah, but then you see your own kid cut, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> also, too, with the drug addiction, when you're out there and... You're a narcotics officer. You do develop that defense mechanism, but also, too, the way you treat them after the fact. You know, there's a lot of bullshit crimes you want to be, you know, oh, a turnstile thing, it's, right. it's, you know, or, uh, you know, shoplifting or anything else like that. You know what I'm saying? You're looking at them like they're not even human. They're subhuman. We have a bunch of different words that we use for them on the police department, too. Skell. Mope. Mope. You know, skell <laughs> is a big one. Mutt. You yeah. know? And... Uh, you do, now you're talking to somebody who realizes now, wow, that person has a mother somewhere maybe that's still alive or a dad or a brother or a sister or a grandmother. Yeah. So it's interesting. And you know, it's like I get choked up thinking about this. It's like... Phew. Well, believe me, there's plenty of people that I work with in the police department um, and many other places that have struggled with this in a big, big way. Um because everybody has that in their family. Everybody, everyone, like you said, everybody everyone. does. My brother died of a drug overdose. Yeah. Prescription yeah. drugs, too. And I don't know if, whether it was accidental or accidentally on purpose. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. but uh, he was, uh, and then he had, he had been sober for years from drinking because that was his number one problem. Mm -hmm. And then he started uh, taking prescription drugs. And as I said, I don't know if he did it on purpose or if he just, you know. What is it about uh, Al-Anon that it helped you so much as, as, as a parent? Like, what, what was it that they were telling you that really, like, okay, it helped the relationship because you had to back away a little bit? How do they prove that to you? Yeah, so, so the program was narrowed on. Like I said, it's for families and friends. You know, it's just a place to sit um, and, and hear people's stories and, you know, how they dealt with certain situations and, you know, just kind of have a dialogue. And, and like I said, it's not to force anybody to have any one particular way to go about it, but, you know, just take what, you know, you feel would work for you. Um, there were people who had been going to these meetings for like 25, 30 years. There were people who have been going to these meetings. Their loved ones have been deceased for a long time. Um, you know, they talk about the serenity prayer, you know, when they're there, when you're at these meetings, there are certain, um, what is this? What's the it, serenity it, prayer? It's a prayer that they say, you know, every day it's a spiritual type of prayer, uh, you know, just very motivational and inspirational. Is that they, like the AA thing, the 12 yeah, step things? From AA? Well, it's kind of based on that. Yeah, as well. And, um, it, they bring in guest speakers sometimes, like people. Like there was one woman, for example, her daughter came in who had recovered, and you know spoke about her journey. and And it's really good to see the people in the group uh, who, where there's a success story, where you can hear, yeah, you know, yeah, what went too. on. People get healed. People what advice healed. could you give to parents that have an intuition or maybe an idea that their son or their daughter might be on drugs? or that their son or daughter's friends might be on drugs. Like, uh, if there was one bit of advice that you can give, not only with your, uh, the, you know, the fact that you were law enforcement, but also the parent of, of a, a child that was addicted to drugs. 
Well, I would say the first thing to do is to speak to them very early on, you know, before this could even potentially be a problem. You know, once you start suspecting something and you, you feel it in your gut, it, it's probably been happening for longer than you Did even you know. Did you ignore it for a long time? I was in denial, I would say. So you ignored the obvious signs. Um, when I did speak to him, uh, he was very defensive, very argumentative. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I'm just tired or, or whatever right. his excuse was. And, and I'm not making that as an excuse for myself, but it's really hard to wrap your head around when it's your own kid. Yeah, sure. It really, really is. Um, Sometimes we all choose the path of least resistance, yeah, too. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know, like hopefully this will just go, go away. away yeah. It's a phase. But, you know, I didn't even know that he was doing heroin, you know, at that point. Um, so, like I said, you know, the path I took lead, led me to where I am today. Um, and um, I'm glad I stayed the course, like, as angry as my son would get with me. Um, I never backed off. That's for us, by the way, the grease board. I never. <laughs> I, I, we have our producer. She's putting ideas or questions up there. And so sometimes the guests see it and they feel like they have to answer. Now, that's for us. You just, you know, to tell us what you're telling us. Don't yeah. be worried about that. Yeah. I, I just I just refuse to give up hope. Um, you know. The, you can. I mean, it's your child for crying out loud. Oh, as much as, like, I, I really didn't never know if he, would, if he would make it. You just can't give up. and. But it's tough to... To say no, like Bill brought up earlier about the uh, the living arrangement, and you said at some point your son would stay with your mother, yeah, uh, his grandmother. So there must have been a point where you told him, "Don't bring this in the house. Don't come here." You're, well, you're what not I welcome here. what I did was I sold my house. Um, so he didn't have a place to live anymore. I sold my house and I moved. And um, was that a conscious decision because yeah. of that? You didn't want to have his room large, there no more. It was a large part of it. Wow, that's interesting. You that's know, really. And what'd you do? You just got yourself a, a one one bedroom apartment. Yeah, and so, you know, when you you have kids and they're little and. You go in and see them in the cribs, and you just watch and see if their chest rises. To yeah, see yeah. If breathing. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine doing that to adult. like your twenty-five-year-old, you know, your kid. Yeah. See them sprawled out on bed and just staring at them, just wanting to see like their shirt move or something. Right, right. You know, to see if if they were breathing or not. That's and scary. Man. But the addiction destroys. The, the parents almost as bad as it does the yeah. addicted person. Yeah, well, you know, you know, it certainly can destroy relationships, yeah. that's for sure. That's it, why that Al-Anon was so important that yeah, you did that. That was smart. Yeah. yeah. You know, we What's had it a, called? Naranon. It's called Naranon. Oh, narcotics. Yeah, Naranon. No, we had uh, a doctor watch school here who's an expert on police suicide and stuff. And, mm -hmm. we, you know, some of the things we talk about as cops, we, and I, I this question I thought for me, I'm not saying it was the greatest question, but for me, it was good. I said, is it ever okay, like, to drink, you know, it's mentally? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. He goes, as long as it doesn't get crazy. He goes, you know, because we as cops, sometimes after a really horrendous situation, you want to go out and talk about it and just mm -hmm. have a few cocktails. And I'm not saying do a four to four, yeah. but just even when we uh, make a big arrest or something, we almost want to celebrate it, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's like a positive thing, you know, and, you know, it, it does deal with alcohol, so it could yeah. it could get out of control. But he was, uh, you know, a, as a PhD, he was like, "Oh no, it's fine to drink yeah. as long as you don't go over." Well, uh, just as long as we got the okay from the Waskell. <laughs> Doctor Waskell, I'm gonna we we'll go out and throw <laughs> throw. A so, back. so don't ever quote me again. <laughs> you go, do you go to um, Los Angeles often to visit your son? Uh, well, he he lives back in New York. Now. Oh, okay, that's great. But. Um, yeah, I, well, I go to Los Angeles quite a bit because my daughter lives out there. Now, is he still working as a counselor? No, no. You know, he did that for uh, two or three years, and uh, he just didn't like the whole L.A. scene. Yeah. And um, it's LA's different. L.A.'s fine. The sun it, shines most of the time, and the fumes yeah. lead back. So, no, <laughs> yeah, he came back here um, and actually uh, went into ma managing a restaurant. Ironically, Ooh, that's tough when, uh, as an addict to do that. Ironically, uh, the man who owned the restaurant, he owns a couple of them, and this one happened to be in Times Square, his son was one of my son's clients out in L.A. Wow. And um, so uh, 
he got to have a good relationship with my son, and he offered him a job, and so he's kind of back in that restaurant. Yeah, because I mean, being thing. around alcohol is. Uh, yeah, but you, you know, know what? Alcohol was never his real thing. Uh, he wasn't really a big drinker. Or I'm addicted like to Cabernet. Cabernet, really good Cabernet from <laughs> yeah. Napa Valley. I like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So you know, he, he's doing that, and you know, that's just, great. You know, doing living life. Travels a lot, you know. He wants to have some experiences. He travels all over the world, pretty well, that's much. Great. Yeah, he takes off and goes on. He still goes to meetings. Uh, he's still, you know. I think that's involved. important. Right? I don't think that's something that ever ends, right? No, and and they're good. Um, they're good for him, and he talks to me about them, and you know, he tells me, you know, what makes him feel good. You know, we have the best relationship that we've ever had. Um, we have a really great relationship now. Uh, very almost, open, very you know, honest. You know, I know it's drugs, but especially with heroin and what it does to you. Um, we mentioned earlier about how it goes through your veins and it does a, something to your brain, and that's why it takes so long to get out of your system. But it's almost like an illness in a way. Like you wouldn't wish uh, cancer on anybody, right? But you also wouldn't wish a drug addiction like heroin either because it's going to take probably uh, the chances of you surviving it are probably the same too, and the, the amount, the time to, to get better, and what you have to go through. Well, you know, I learned more about addiction and heroin than I ever thought in my life I would know. They, when they detox, it takes them about three or four days to detox. That that heroin's out of their system. Mm -hmm. It's all in the psych. Yeah. It's the psych part that's mm -hmm. so overwhelming, and just has a grasp on them. And, you know, I've seen shows and other parents talk and, you know, how they lost their kids and how they were doing well, but something triggers them. And, you know, they talk about people, places, and things. Those are the things that will trigger to go back. Like, how do you have, like, an addict, and I forget who some actor's name, he didn't do heroin for, like, 10 years. He bought some on the Lower East Side oh, the guy or something. died. Hoffman. Seymour Hoffman. Oh, God, Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. What a great actor. What a great That's actor. So, right. Yeah. So, so here's a guy, you know, 10 years clean. It's so like, bad. what happened there? And, and yeah. the reality is most of them know you can't use the same amount that you used the last time right. and so easy to overdose. Yeah, but I, I think he was already, you know, he was clean for a while, like you said, 10 years, but I, th I don't think that was the first well, time. Well, look, a uh, great example is Audie Lang. Audie Lang now has been sober for like 10 months, I think. Yeah, I, right? yeah, I think cocaine was his uh -huh. drug of choice. Bo 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 but both of them, he's people, yeah, yeah. Artie Lang's a great guy, and there's so many addicts out there who are wonderful, wonderful people, and we wish them nothing but the best. And if you're out there and you're involved in law enforcement, think about that before you just, you know, ready to kick somebody to the curb, that, you know, that somebody's son, daughter, maybe a captain of the police department, man, because nobody is above it. Nobody is above it. And especially when these drugs that some of the people are doing are prescribed initially by doctors. You know what I'm saying? And that's where, you know, somebody who's never done drugs before, next thing you know, they're shooting heroin because it's something that a doctor gave them. Yep. Mm. That they were f they're basically pushing it on the market. Yeah, and the thing, too, is, like, I s like we talked about earlier, is getting the treatment and getting the help. Um, there are people, like I met a lot of people who's, whose kids were in different treatment centers, and they were under the age of 26. They were still under their uh, parents' insurance, and their insurance may only uh, approve them for a week's stay. Like, that's like nothing. Right. Like, that's nothing. That, that's, it's like nothing. That's why when you go on the police department, they say, always get the high option rider in case you have to go to the farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so, you know, what Cycle for Recovery is doing, like I said earlier, they're, they're looking to provide grants and funds for those who really desperately want to get help, who may not have the funds. So part of the uh, board's responsibility is to get those applicants to review them, you know, to see what the needs are, you know, what specific location might be good for that person, you know, and to, to monitor them. So I would encourage, especially our law enforcement community, if you've got a family member, a friend, a spouse um, who's struggling and you need the support, you know, the website's www. Uh, cycleforrecovery.org. Cycle, C-Y-C-L-E, right? Yeah, for recovery. And you got, what is this, like bike rides and stuff like that? You go on long trips well, in order to raise money for this? Well, they partnered with Soul Cycle right now. Mm -hmm. um, I used to take spin till I got my new hip. I haven't been back yeah, since. Yeah. Soul Cycle's 
<laughs> yeah. So what they do is um, it's a tough class. It's pricey too, man. Yeah. Like 30, well, 40 bucks one for one for class. class. Yeah. Well, they'll donate all that money for the specific day. Um, now you got to get the Peloton helping. at home. <laughs> yeah. Don't buy it for your wife though. <laughs> yeah. Better buy it herself. <laughs> yeah. So you know, as a parent, some of the things obviously to look for is you know change in behavior, change in friends. You know, you hear about this all the time. But yet when it happens to you, yeah. you know, you're just really kind of not looking. Um, friends, you know, uh, you know, if they lose their jobs, if, if they have a bank account that they've gone through, you know, maybe you're uh, noticing, like, if you see any of, if they have credit card bills, you know, their credit cards are run out. Right. Um, you know, things Did like that. Did your daughter know just, about this before you? No. Uh, no. And that's another thing is, you know, all my son's friends, um, they all grew up together through pre-K all the way. It's a close-knit community yes, called place. Yeah. yeah. And only one of them, his name is Joe, reached out to me and said, we need to do an intervention with Dan. That's a good friend. Let me tell you something. And all those friends, nobody ever said anything to and me. And they knew it, right? Of course they did. And it's like the cop that sees his partner is out of control and never goes to a boss and says, look, this guy needs help. Right. And then he commits suicide and he says, oh, I saw all these signs and why didn't you tell anybody? Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, um, but how many of those kids are also maybe not as addicted as your son, but on the know, way. doing it with your son, doing it themselves, you know, have their own problems, you know, also the ratting thing out. Like, you know, people don't want to be rats or telling on somebody's mother, you yeah. don't know, who had her talk with them, long conversations. How many of them who he's still really tied with? Because you also alienate yourself. The cl the more you uh, you get involved in these drugs, the right. more you, you kind of sort of stay to yourself. Maybe a lot of those friends didn't see, weren't reaching. Oh, how come you come you're coming out tonight? Oh, I don't feel good, you know. So they don't see the the, the real addiction, you yeah. know. I and bet you a lot of them knew though. And the hard part is is when they do come out of rehab, um, you know, the friends are want to be supportive too, but. You know, they don't always respect their sobriety. Yeah, and so right. it, it may tough. be cool for them to pop a beer or smoke a joint or whatever. But they don't understand. But they don't understand. You cannot do that kind right. of stuff. That's true. Yeah, and, I remember with Artie. That's so what's speaking really of Artie hard. Lang, I, w the first time I saw him come out of a rehab wasn't it wasn't his first time in a rehab. The first time I happened to be around him knowing that he came out of rehab not too long ago. And I was mm -hmm. over, I knew his drink of choice, which was my drink of choice. And we were both at the comedy club. And I remember, I recall having a drink in my hand and now I, I regret that so much because i'm thinking to myself because i've seen a picture since then since his last rehab and somebody took a picture of him holding a beer and it's like almost like you want to take all that stuff away yeah, <laughs> no, take yeah. it away take it the guy's doing good man don't yeah. don't give him any any thought don't make him look like it's fun because you know when you see if you're out and you're, you're seeing other people having fun when they're drinking all of a sudden i you know i can have one drink but we all know what the no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. no, you can't do that. So yeah, so that's wow, man. What a story, man. It's really I'm we, I'm happy that you you came in here and the first half was great, but this half uh, I think we learned uh we learned a lot about this uh an addiction and how we could hit anybody, no Absolutely. matter what you do for a living, even if you're involved in law enforcement, even if you're a captain on the P NYPD, you know. Uh, you know, the other thing too is this so much, and I don't think I'm alone in feeling this way, there's so much shame and embarrassment that, you know, the only people who really knew were my family. Like, I was going to work and functioning fine. Right. And I remember one day uh, our executive assistant, Kathy, wonderful lady, she walked into my office, and I don't know what came over me, but she looked at me, she's like, what's wrong? And I just blurted it out. I said, my son's a heroin addict. Wow. And it's the first time I was able to talk to somebody and just spill my guts about it. Right. And she was so helpful uh, to me and supportive. Did she wind up having someone in her family, too, that was... No, no, no. But, you know, she's just, she's just a great... She was a great friend. Um, but there was so much embarrassment. And, you know, when you brought up, you know, it's about somebody who has cancer. And I've had this conversation with people, too. You know, if your kid has cancer or they get some other, you know, disease, you know, everybody's great and they raise money and I donate a lot of money and I'm sure everybody else does to certain causes. You know, when somebody's, you know, kid, you know, is an addict, yeah. It's it's not the kind of thing it's like a different problem. Look, it's yeah. a different problem, and there's not a lot of you know funds and fundraising to get them help and this and that. And you know I'm not suggesting people should stop everything they're doing right. for this, but 
it, it is a reality, and that's why it's. So well, I think Eric Clapton has that group called Crossroads, and he has a rehab on one of the uh, oh, Caribbean islands. Yeah, because okay. he was a heroin addict. Yeah, mm. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not an isolated problem. Many, many families go through it. Um, I would, like you said earlier, most families have somebody with some sort of addiction in there. Yeah. The way they snuck it into our, you know, there's a uh, what do you call it? A conspiracy theory that the crap crack epidemic was started by the government. You know, for whatever reason, to kill off black people, kill their incentive, destroy the culture, whatever. But then there's also another a theory that the the prescription drugs were put in. Two th- two theories I've heard. One of them is because to combat the the marijuana that's coming, they wanted to beat beat out of marijuana. So you know what I'm saying. So we don't lose um, get people hooked on these drugs instead of doing marijuana that's soon to be legal. And also um, that it was flooded to kill white people. <laughs> you know, that's a theory that's out there. It sounds I ridiculous, don't know what but the because the the the, the opioid epidemic is mostly struck white people. Yeah. You know, and where you had so much help for right now, we we gotta we gotta counter this um, this opioid addiction because we're losing a lot of white people. There's a lot of people who were hooked on crack for years and years and years, and there was no government assistance coming from them. They were just crackheads. Well, when you went to prison, they there was that's the only way they got rehab, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had guys yeah, out yeah. on the street would say, officer, please, could you get me in a rehab? you like, dude, I can't help you. And, and then they get locked up. They get right in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, well, that's what you're talking about before, the beds. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. you, when they're saving beds for people who aren't even there yet, but just somebody who will cop the plea instead of doing the, the amount of time that they were supposed to do initially, if they become part of this program, uh, then they'll, they'll cut their time and... Um, They'll cut their time and they'll go to rehab, which actually helps in a way, too, because they have a drug problem. They're not, they probably wouldn't be criminals if they weren't addicted to this drug. Yeah, it, it's just a vicious cycle. Knowing yeah. what you know about now, about this now, would you, do you think Big Pharma had a, something to do with this, like what I mentioned earlier? Do you, are you a conspiracy theorist? Do you think the, these drugs were flooded by Big Pharma to um, either, you know? Well, there's certainly news stories out there which would support that. You know, depending what you read. I mean, when you read about things that went on in places like West Virginia and the incredible amounts of, uh, you know, oxycodone and pills that went through such small communities, like, yeah. why did that happen? And I read this book called The Hillbilly Elegy uh, by J.D. Vance. It was actually a really good book. Um, and he, you know, grew up over in that area and uh, talked about, you know, the addiction problems there and with all the drugs flooding in as he grew up and you know you know like why and how did that happen mm-hmm. um obviously they were making a lot of money mm-hmm. um you know i've seen re- read news reports or read things you know where there's information uh where they they knew how addictive these drugs were and they mm-hmm. just didn't do anything about it so um and now you know it's had a well, why would they why would they want to addict a whole like community say in West Virginia? Uh, well, the drugs uh, were coming through there, okay. like like into a pharmacy, like just ridiculous amounts. They of had drugs. more, way more pills than there were people, people. there. Right, Even okay. if every if you right. took if you gave a thousand pills to every single person that lived in that town, you st- <laughs> there would still be ten million more pills coming through right, that town. Right. It was basically like a hub to distribute either illegally Ill- 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 throughout the country, but that's where they were going first for some reason. A lot of it has to. Uh, I, I watched the same thing that you watched. It's disgusting. But since we have you now, and you were a parent with a child with an addiction, and you've you've been through the thing, uh, the whole thing we mentioned, Nalanon. Uh, I keep saying it wrong. Naranon. Naranon. Yeah. And uh, you also talked about what to look out for. And um, how did you heal yourself? What did you have to go through to uh, while all this was going on? How did you stay mentally stable? Because that's important, just to like. Yeah. Yeah, you have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Um, I I just had to learn t- to to let it. I, I had to learn that I could not control what his decisions were going to be. I I could not continue to clean up his messes. Um, it's his life. He was the only one who could make himself clean. There's mm-hmm. nothing in the world I could have done. 
to make him stop using drugs. No amount of begging and crying and, you know, don't do it would have would have uh, mm-hmm. worked. And it took a long time. It took a long time to get there. And I'm there now. Mm-hmm. And he knows it. Mm-hmm. He knows if something ever happens, you know who to call and mm-hmm. you know where to go and you know what you have to do. Um, I'm... I'm because it, really it, it destroys it, it destroys families. It destroys absolutely mothers, fathers. You know, yeah. and because uh, you'll give anything to your kid, I, I, I've but it's destroying people, you. I've met people who have gone through hundreds of thousands of dollars to their lifetime saved four hundred one ks to get their kids uh, help. Mm, you know, wow. and and it's it's unbelievable uh, what people have done, and and naturally the other kids in the family, you know, are. Talking to the parents, saying they're well, pissed. Why? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, right, right. Why are you spending the squeaky all this money? wheel gets mm. the grease, as they say, right? Yeah. All you can say, all you can tell them is, you know what? Have your own kids, and then come back and talk to me, because yeah. that's what it's about. Once you have kids, you know, you'll do anything, whatever you can do. And you can understand the resentment when. And part of that sacrifice right. is is being able to say no and doing all the th- all the steps you. You know, all, everything that you said, it's, it's just remarkable of how strong you are because, you know, you made it to, to the captain uh, on the NYPD, then you had this wonderful job, but you wouldn't tell us how much money you make, but <laughs> uh, we, we know that it, you were very happy. If you said, she didn't, was very happy with the job. She didn't touch the thing about the animals on the plane either. She didn't really want to talk <laughs> nah, about nah, she's that not too bad much. No, she won't say anything bad about JetBlue. Like, it was like yeah. an arc. It was like it's you had to place. bring two animals. And on you. top of all that, to have the strength to... to to be there for your son, and uh, the fact that he, you know, he came out of it and he's doing okay now, and we all know that with addiction, it's every every day counts. Every mm-hmm. day is a brand new day, so we wish him all the best. And uh, you know, if you're a parent out there, you know, heed this advice. Um, we're gonna put up some stuff at the end of the um, at the end of the episodes. The way we've been doing some some contact information, and Bill and I are also building up the website. We got to talk about that. Well, we're going to have a, a page or two there dedicated to all the people, all the different services that you can go to reference uh, if you have a child who is autistic or suffering from addiction and all these different things that could go wrong in a, in a human life. You know, <laughs> we're going to have stuff like that that you can a resource page that you can go to. But um, Bill, anything else? No, I mean, uh, I I worked with Lorena. She was a great captain. I didn't expect anything less from her today. This was a great episode. She, um, We appreciate your journey and that you still want to help people. That's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything I can do. <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna need that cycle for uh, the thing there, so we can we can add that to the um, yeah that to Rashad. Cycleforaddiction.org is that shot on the way out. We want to we want to add that website. Cycle for recovery. Cycle, cycle for recovery. Dot org. Okay. And yeah, I'll I'll try and get you the dates of the cities and where where it's going on. If you like bike riding, absolutely, it's I'm great a, exercise. I cycle. I'll down. donate. I'm not a big bike rider. I fall off a lot. But <laughs> 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 but thank you so much for coming in, Loretta. It was a pleasure great. and an thank honor. Thank you. And wish you the best of luck. And on behalf of uh, Police Off the Cuff, man, this was uh, a great episode, man. I'm very very proud of you. Thank you so much. Keep tuning in. Mm-hmm.